Good morning, wherever you are, or at any other time of the day that you may be watching this online. I was very grateful for the online opportunity. I wasn't able to be here last week, so I had the opportunity of just watching later in the week and, and uh, sharing in Kevin's really excellent message. As you would be very aware, we're, I was going to say, in the middle of a series. We're actually getting towards the end of the book of Ephesians. And uh, I'm very grateful to those who have laid down some incredible teaching so far in this wonderful book. Most of us would be aware that this week is... National Reconciliation Week. We're actually about halfway through and that's both an urgent and important issue for us here in Australia and our relationship with our Indigenous people. It's therefore appropriate right now that we would recognise that Reconciliation is actually a major theme, if not the major theme, of the book of Ephesians. Peterson, in his introduction to the book of Ephesians, writes that reconciliation is the dynamo at the heart of the universe. From God's perspective, Reconciliation is the dynamo at the heart of the universe. The reconciliation that Ephesians is particularly dealing with, of course, is our reconciliation to God through Jesus, through the cross. But there's also another important theme in Ephesians which is the reconciliation between belief and behaviour. There are fractures all over the place in my life and I dare to say in your life. A theme of scripture is, and it's expressed very succinctly but powerfully in James, faith without works is dead. Belief and behaviour. And as we've traced through this book, we recognise that early on the themes of theology and reconciliation through Christ are richly expressed. But as with Paul's letters generally, as you move through the letter, there's actually a movement towards practical living issues, behaviour. And we've had some of those teachings already as Paul inevitably moves to the practical in his letters. So I just want to share with you as we go through very um, briefly 
these beautiful verses from chapter 7 of from verse 17 of chapter 4 right through to the second verse of chapter 5. I'm going to take it um, in sections as we go through. Uh, Verses 17 to 19 and this is in the NIV. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. I don't want to spend a great deal of time on that because we have considered that the issue here is that there is a counterculture in Christianity and it's becoming more and more clear. I don't think the difference between secular society in Australia today and the Christian message and the Christian life has ever been so different. I believe it's going in a direction where Australia is becoming not only non-Christian but anti-Christian and we need to recognise that we are, uh, as active Christians today, we are a minority in our society and we are called upon to live counterculturally, not to blend in only in a way with our society that is compromising but to recognise how deep the difference is between living a life of forgiveness through Christ and not living that life. Paul then goes on in the verses following um, to address the integration between theory and practice, if you like, between belief and behaviour. And he interweaves very practical issues with going back to the basics, with going back to what uh, are our key beliefs. I want to read now from the NIV again um, and chapter uh, verses 20 to 24. That, is ha- that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And if I could just also read verses 23 and 24 in the message translation just to reinforce that. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Here's the connection between belief 
and behaviour, absolutely crucial, and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your con conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Do you and I believe that? That God is reproducing through his spirit in us his nature. He is helping us to be aligned with who he is, with his values, with the key qualities of his relationships and therefore the key actions that God expresses in this world. You and I are being fashioned to be more like God every day. I, I just didn't know how to express adequately um, how excited, how challenged, how thankful I am about that reality. And uh, on Friday morning, I just picked up my little devotional book because I just try to start most days with a little quiet devotional time. And uh, this is a devotion that I read on Friday the 29th, the 28th. I am the vine, you are one of the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears abundant fruit. Apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. Ponder this glorious truth. I am alive within you. Just as sap flows from a vine through its branches, so my life flows through you. I am infinite and perfect, yet I choose to live inside you. This intimacy you have with me is wondrously rich. I read your every thought. I'm aware of all your feelings. I know how weak you are and I stand ready to infuse you with my strength. When you cooperate with my indwelling presence, asking me to be in control, you can produce abundant fruit. If you try to do things in your own strength, ignoring your vital union with me, you're likely to fall flat on your face. Anything you do produce apart from me will have no value in my kingdom. So nourish well your intimacy with me. Delight in my life-giving presence. What a way to start a day. I, I, I would go back and read that every day, I believe, with great value, just to get the main thing, the main thing in every day. And I think I, I actually need to read it several times a day, that the essence of each day in living it practically is to be so thankful for the powerful presence and be aware of the presence and seek to be that presence to others. Seek to be those colours and those flavours to others. So it's, it's through the Spirit of God in us that we have the power to transform belief into loving, gracious behaviour. It's through that power that there is a reconciliation between belief and behaviour. 
It's through that power that we gradually grow to be more like God. And the, the challenge to me and the challenge to you is to be open every day to the power of God's Spirit within us through the fruit of the Spirit and through the work of reconciliation. And on that kind of basis, Paul now moves into a, a very challenging little segment. He moves in to the behaviour. He moves into the key themes or some of the key themes that would allow us to be living in the power of his spirit. Uh, Paul, of course, wrote many letters. Paul uh, fashioned his letters not only to the big themes of the gospel, but he fashioned them towards the church or groups of people in the cities that he was writing to. Paul was a, an apostle, both with a capital A and a small a, he was a missionary. Paul was a church planter. Paul was a pastor. So when Paul writes these letters, he's writing basically to people whom he knows. So there's a little bit of uh, different shade in each of the letters, but the same major themes come through. Uh, the different shades are because of his pastoral heart, Paul recognises in each church there, or maybe in each city there are particular issues and he addresses those. So from verse 25, this is what he writes and there are three key themes that I briefly want to draw out of this. What this adds up to then is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbour the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other after all. When you lie to others, you end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. What's the way you talk? Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. I think there are three themes woven together very poignantly in those verses. The first one is one that deals with Christian character or honesty. Honesty in life and honesty in our words. It's almost impossible to overemphasise how important that character issue is for us in our living and in our relationships. Relationships depend very, very deeply on character and honesty. As we travel through life, 
we are attracted to the people whom we believe we can trust, the people who are honest, the people who what you see is what you get. There's no underlying catch that at some point will undermine the relationship. Uh, it's, as I said, almost impossible to say how important trust is, faith in a person, in giving ourselves effectively in relationships. In fact, we're stupid if we trust somebody who isn't trustworthy. Intimacy with somebody who is narcissistic or self-centred to the extreme is a very, very treacherous way of living. And I'm even impressed with the fact that in a society that basically is overthrowing or undermining Christian moral values and Christian teachings about morality, that it seems to me that one area that our society has not overthrown is that you need trust in the relationship. So I'm interested to read about um, sexual morality actually being guided by who you trust and actually allowing sexuality to be subservient to this whole issue of am I in relationship with somebody who's fair income? Otherwise, we're in trouble. No wonder Paul emphasised this whole area of character. The second area is perhaps um, one that we might think comes out of the blue in that he chooses out the emotion of anger. And he says, maybe to some of us a little surprisingly, Go ahead and be angry. But in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I believe that this may have been a particular issue to the Ephesian people, but it certainly is a very important issue in life. For instance, as a, a counsellor, in previous days, I'm very aware that a lot of relational difficulties actually have their foundation in anger. Anger that has hurt. Anger that is either explosive or is simmering away and undermines the relationship. Um, it's interesting that Jesus quite clearly on several occasions was angry. He was angry when after he'd healed a person on the Sabbath day, the religious leaders were talking amongst themselves and saying that he'd contravened the Sabbath and the Bible tells us he got angry. When he cleared out the temple of the people who were um, making money um, off religion and sometimes extorting, he was angry, it says quite clearly. So there's actually no major problem or sin in being angry. In fact, you could, you could see it very, very constructively. We get angry basically when we recognise that something isn't right. 
that something isn't fair, either for ourselves and hopefully we get angry on the part of other people as well if we see that something... In fact, anger has the same role in our emotional and motivational life as physical pain has in our bodies. It says something's wrong, you need to do something about it. So it's a heads up. But then Paul says... Don't sin. Don't let that anger lead you to behaviour or words that are actually harmful to the relationship, to the community and to you. And he says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I think there's probably two extremes for anger that are mostly hurtful. One is the uncontrolled anger. And uh, the fruit of the spirit of self-control is a very powerful one for us. Just when we know we are angry, to have a stewardship of that that actually becomes a constructive force, not a destructive force, because much relational difficulty comes out of outbursts uncontrolled outbursts of anger. But there's almost an equal, an opposite dilemma for anger and that is um, if we, for whatever reason, either have been taught that we mustn't get angry or if we have a great deal of self-control in the moment of potential outbursts, then we put it down inside ourselves and it simmers away and it doesn't go away. And we can become cynical, pessimistic, maybe even depressed people because of the energy of that anger that hasn't been dealt with adequately and is just undermining our lives and therefore potentially the flavour of our relationships. I think Paul was putting his finger in principle on the fact that one of the fruit of the spirit is self-control and that is translated as able to marshal and direct your energies wisely. Very, very good practical teaching of the healing of the relationship between belief and behaviour. The third area is, and these are all interrelated, that has to do with our speech. Initially, don't tell any lies, but then it's basically wider about our speech and recognising how powerful our speech is. Uh, I'm reminded of the Sermon on the Mount And right at the end of that, where Jesus talked on two or three occasions about various parts of speech, that um, the final summary of that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through to 7, indicates Jesus saying, these are not just homeowner improvements to your life, these teachings. These are words to build a life on. Words to build 
a life on. We know from other teachings of scripture that our words are incredibly powerful for good or for ill. For instance, I've noticed in mentoring um, Christian leaders, um, possibly the most important or effective aspect of mentoring, being alongside pastors, is encouragement. Most of us are dying for a word of encouragement. Most of us are dying for somebody just recognising what we're trying to be or who we are or what we're doing. The word of encouragement is just so, so powerful. And of course, words in our relationships are extremely powerful too. Um, I, I may have used this illustration before, but I still remember vividly very early on in, in actually in my first church, a lady asked me would I come to talk with her and her husband and when I found, when I got there I found that um, she and her husband weren't talking to each other and uh, when I asked how long that had happened they said three months. Now I'd just been married at that time, I couldn't believe that. I can these days but... <laughs> Not because my wife, my wife doesn't play no speak, so even if, I'm, if I go there, it doesn't work. So, um, but I know how, how important a supposed weapon, weapon that that is. Um, James basically said that there's almost one part of life that has never been tamed. You can tame a tiger, but we can't tame our tongue. And I find that to be very true personally as well, even in just some little ways. I, this is a bit of a confession, but I think there'd be a few of us who might make this confession. When I get irritable, my language is not always producible over the airwaves. <laughs> and I hope that it doesn't go beyond me. Not, nothing real bad, but there's just that language that I say, oh Lord, how, how did that come out? And our scripture actually gives us a very clear indicator that as our hearts gradually change, so our speech changes as well. And I'm aware that in our society, quite rightly, we see the incredible destructive force of physical violence. We're even realising the destructive force of emotional violence. But I think the one we haven't caught up on yet is verbal violence, that we can wreck a relationship. We can actually wreck our own lives and the lives of others by the words that come out of our mouths and they come from our heart and that's why God reproducing his character in me and you is absolutely vital. So 
Paul has put his finger on some very, very practical areas. I don't know about you, but certainly for me, they, they are relevant. They, they are everyday issues for living life, either a salt and light, the colours and flavours of God, or being a part of the secular society that doesn't have those colours and those flavours. And then, to sum up this particular portion, and I'm so glad that uh, we go into the first two verses of chapter 5, because I believe they belong in this segment. So I just want to read that section to you. Don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for, grant, gift for granted. He's gone back, right back to the, to the essence. And then he comes into chapter 5 and the first two verses of chapter 5. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he's coming back to the basics. And Paul is then very briefly reinforcing what is the dynamo at the heart of the universe, reconciliation. And what actually makes reconciliation possible? And it's the compassion of God and the grace of God. And that we, as God is compassionate and gracious towards us through Jesus and the cross, but generally in life, we love and serve a kind, a patient, a gentle God. A God who is inside us, changing us from the inside out. He doesn't bash us over the head unless for some reason or another that might, I'm very hesitant about this, but that might be the best thing to do. Very hesitant about that. But God can be very direct and very strong at the extremity, but his nature is love and grace. And if we live deeply in his love, which is that he is for us and he's paved a way that we can live as if we are the colours and flavours of him, if we live deeply in that, then we will be able to accept his grace which allows us to live every moment of every day to the full as if we had never sinned. And if we embrace that grace, that getting better than we deserve, we will be able to give other people better than they might deserve. And therefore this reconciliation 
between God and ourselves, an internal reconciliation with ourselves and who we are, and then a reconciliation with our neighbour will have the dynamo, the power to make our lives beautiful for God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for that internal dynamic, your spirit. What? What a privilege. Help us to open ourselves to that power every moment of every day. Remind us that you are for us. Father, thank you for your spirit working in us right now in practical areas of character and of our emotional life and our speech. Just remind us that there is a fracture between belief and behaviour that you are wanting to heal in us today, tomorrow and beyond. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.